what I want to share with you all today is, um, let me put the first slide up, be great. Um, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. And um, what's interesting to me is we're going to have basically eight bullet points, if you're taking notes, eight bullet points that allow Joseph to make correct decisions. He's one of the few biblical characters who actually consistently gets it right. And so we're going to look at those eight points. I'm going to run you all the way through Genesis. You don't have to open up your Bibles, but if you like to be, if you like to be a Bible kind of person reading along, put your finger in Genesis. And what I think I find is really interesting, too, is there's only one to two chapters devoted to creation. And then a whole bunch of stuff about people. And creation's vague. It's real vague. And I kind of come to the realization, actually, this past couple weeks, that it's really about redemption and forgiveness in the book of Genesis. It's not about creation, because the details are not there. So anyway, let's take a look at this. Um, you can see here the central theme of the book of Genesis is, I'm gonna, we're going to go through this, uh, this reading real quickly, chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. Now, this is, the, this is the benchmark. This is the foundation of the book. This is where it all rests. And so I'll read along with you. And this is what God is saying to Abraham. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So let's go on to the next slide. <clears throat> so here is what I call the seed project. Um, I kind of made this term up, but this is basically God's promise that he's going to create a nation. And so he's going to seed it. Just like if you went outside and threw down some grass seed and had all this germination going on. They'd be all your little seedlings. So I call this the seed project. And here what I have before you are these four generations that we're going to talk about. I couldn't make arrows. I don't know how to do that in a PowerPoint. But just think of it as a progression. And we're going to focus most of our attention on Joseph. So briefly, briefly, I'm just going to kind of do a little historical thing here. We're going to talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, what's really interesting about these three characters is they are all great men of faith who have a heart for God. But they're prone to slip-ups. They're prone to slip-ups, just like us. If we look at the life of Abraham, for example, look at the great thing he does. He takes Isaac up to the mountain, and he's willing to sacrifice him, believing in faith that God will restore his son. Yet, on the other hand, when he and his wife can't give birth, and he's been given this great promise, what does he do? He has relationships with Hagar the maid. He's got that, all of a sudden, a slip-up. How about the life of Isaac? Let's look at the life of Isaac, the next generation. Isaac has two sons, okay? Esau and Jacob. And what's really interesting about that, if you look at the scriptures there, okay, Isaac actually, said, actually had favoritism toward Esau. And his wife had favoritism toward Jacob. And both sons knew it. Now, we have three sons, right? And I got a favorite based on the day. You know, based on the day. 
Like whoever's, you know, if Jack comes over and helps me with my technology, my TV, you're my favorite right now. Oh, love you. But by and large, it's hard to have a favorite. You can't have a favorite. But this, Isaac and his wife actually had favorites. So they've already started a problem. They've already started a problem. And then you have, if we go further down the line, we have Jacob, as you well know. Jacob actually steals Esau's birthright, and he steals the blessing with the help of his mother. Okay? The help of his mother to steal that birthright. So again, people, faith in God, and yet they are, they, they're a little uncertain, unsteady, lacking certain things, and they, they slip into these, into these dark areas. And then if we go to the life of Jacob, further down, we go to the life of Jacob, you know, he basically has two wives. And if you remember, we'll, talk, we'll walk through it. What happens to him is, as he escapes, you know, the, stole the birthright, I stole the blessing. He leaves and go, is gone for a long period of time. Then he has to meet up again with Esau. And what I find interesting about this is Joseph, I believe, Joseph is privy to all these things. Even though Abraham is his great-grandfather, Isaac's his grandfather, I knew about the things my grandfather did. I've heard about those things. Joseph knows about all this history. Especially when Jacob goes back to meet Esau in the wilderness, and Jacob is scared to death to meet his brother, who he stole the blessing from and the birthright. And Joseph is a small child on that journey. He knows these things have been going on. And so let's go to the third slide. So Joseph would have known about these past generations. Again, I'm just repeating myself. These are honorable people who love God but had moments of weakness. Now, I tried to think of a situation in my own life where I really blew it. And, oh, they're common. They're common. But the one that stands out in my mind is a long time ago when I first started my business, pretty much worked by myself for the most part. Kids were little. I was doing a solo thing. So anyway, I had this customer, and I was going to plant a whole bunch of geraniums, two, three hundred geraniums. And he says to me, I want to make sure you buy those geraniums from this grower. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Don't worry. I'm going to buy those geraniums from that grower. And I had in mind, I had plans of doing that. I gave him a price. But then when I realized that the price of the grower was a set price that was not going to give me enough profit, I decided I'm not going to buy those geraniums. So I put in somebody else's geraniums. They were cheaper. I made more money. And he asked me, he says, you did buy those geraniums didn't you from that guy? I said, sure did. I sure did. I bought those geraniums. But somehow, I can't remember, he found out that I didn't. Found out that I didn't. And I got fired. And that is that part where you're trying to live a godly life, but every once in a while, you're just not certain about God's promises because he told me he's going to take care of me because I'm going to take control of that kind of thing. So just like these guys, we do the same things. So anyway, that's that... Uh, dysfunctionality, these, these, these areas where we just kind of fall flat. Next slide. Okay? So this brings us to the life of Joseph. Now, it's going to be a little bit challenging for me to do this because there's a lot here packed in. And I'm going to try to move quickly, but I'm going to try to give you all the details of that kind of thing. Okay? So if we look at Joseph, okay, 
Joseph represents the key person in bringing this seed project to realization. I think he knew that. I think he knew that. He was well aware of the promise to Abraham. He understands this promise. So I ask you guys the question. If he, if, if, if in his mind, his mind, this is the overall promise for me in the book of Genesis. I'm part of this seed project. What is the promises that God makes for us? What is the promise that God makes for us that we know it's rock solid? It's rock solid. Think about that for a minute. What are those promises? Okay, let's go to the next slide. Okay. One verse that jumps out at me is Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's our Gentile promise. Okay? That's our promise in the year 2019. So what does that verse mean? That verse basically means that we have the freedom to make the right decisions, to do the right thing. To put in the geraniums that I said I would put in. Not to pull it back and go, I'm not comfortable with this little amount of money I'm going to make. I want to make more money. Because that promise right there, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So we are basically, God has basically said to us, if we seek first his kingdom, we do those things first, we're going to be provided for. Remember how he mentioned the birds of the field, the lilies of the field, and the birds of the air, how they toil and nobody... God has promised us that we're going to be taken care of. So what happens is, as I start to develop this message here, it allows us to make right decisions through the course of our life, even though we probably won't all the time. But we have the freedom to do that. We've been given that freedom to do that. Okay? So let's move on. Let's get into the life of Joseph real quick. Okay? Now, this guy has quite a life. Let me tell you that. And I'm going to go through his whole life. Okay? I'm going to go through his whole life. We're going to talk about all the different things he did here. And the first thing that happens to him, he has this dream. He has this dream. Okay? He's a young kid. He's about 17, 18 years old. He's young. He's got a lot of brothers that are older than him. And as you see, we go forward here, they don't like him. They don't like him. But there's a reason why they don't like him. Because his father had always been his favorite, and he told everybody. So already, Joseph is set up. So let's read the verse here. Joseph, when he was 17 years old, was pastoring a flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Ziphah his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now, you can already see there's a problem here. I mean, he's bringing back a bad report for his brothers. Just not, it's not going to create a good family environment there. Now, Israel, or that would be Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons. He's right, spelled out right there in Scripture. Because he was the son of his old age. Okay? And he made him a very colored tunic. So not only does he love him the most and says it, he's going to provide a coat for him that's colorful, that signifies that you're my favorite son. So already we're, we're, we're set up for a real interesting situation here. Okay? So let's go to the next slide. 
And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And here's the dream. And he said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were all binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheath rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered round and bowed down to my sheath. So what's going to happen? Without looking at the further, any further in the slide, what's going to happen? It's setting yourself up for a really big problem because his, all his brothers are going to become jealous of, this, of his dream and basically saying that I'm going to be king and I'm going to lord over you, all of you. They don't want to hear that kind of thing because he's basically saying I'm going to rise up above you. You're going to all serve me. You're going to eventually serve me as your younger brother. I will be hierarchy over you. So you can already see the dynamics going on here. Let's go to the next slide. So what do the brothers do? Now, the, it's, it's fairly detailed, and I'm going to give you a couple bullet points just to kind of help us along a little bit, okay? But what they do is they basically plot to kill him. They plot to kill him. They want to kill him. And, of course, there's, there's 12 of them. So all 11 are sort of discussing this out in the field. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so Reuben argues not to take his life. They're having this quarrel. Well, that's extreme. That's too extreme. We can't do that. So then Judah, who's the oldest boy, and you know, the oldest will settle things, right? Generally speaking, the oldest speaks. That's what we're going to do. He suggests that they sell him into slavery. Okay? So he's coming along, and I think they put him in a pit, and, and there's a caravan coming along, and basically they sell him into slavery, and off he goes. And they're rid of him. And that's basically the, the brother's revenge, how they, how they deal with their brother. This all ganging up on him, let's get him out of here. Okay? So then he's gone. And nobody knows, you know, caravan, this caravan happens to be going to Egypt. Happens to be going to Egypt. So the story continues now. Let's go to the next slide. So Joseph ends up making his way to the house of Potiphar, who is an Egyptian aristocrat. Okay? He's a wealthy man. He's got servants. He's got slaves. He's got an estate. He's got food being brought in. He's got people tending the farm. It's a big operation. It's a big operation. Okay? And so we read here in Genesis, now listen to this. Notice this. I don't want you to forget. I want you to see these things. Out of everything that's been happening to this guy, you would think, I don't want to be, I don't want to be anywhere near this guy, man. This guy's, this guy's got a problem. I mean, it's a bad situation. What's it say? And the Lord was with Joseph. He's with him. This is all part of the promise to Abraham where there will be many descendants. But it doesn't look that way. It wouldn't look that way to me. I would be like, listen, we're off course here. There's something wrong. I'm in this guy's house. I'm a slave. I'm not buying into it. 
But the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. Okay? A successful man. Now, the word is overseer. The word is overseer. And it actually has to do with a chief economist. In the original language, it meant a chief economist. And remember, I told you about this house, slaves, food, but, you know, all this kind of stuff going on. He was made the chief economist of the house. In other words, Joseph is a sharp character. He's a sharp man because he's been given this responsibility. And he caused him to... Now, the master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his land. So, so Potiphar recognizes this, elevates him, elevates him into this house. He's still a slave, but he elevates him into this household where he becomes the chief economist. He's running that household. So from slavery to Potiphar's house to the guy in charge of Potiphar's house. And so we have our first number one point. Doing the right things means not to be bitter about your circumstances. You can make good decisions, do the right thing, if you're not bitter about where you are. It doesn't do you any good. Because you're where you are because God has placed you there. That's what we're going to learn from this situation. God has orchestrated. Steve used that word today about the, the, the group that went to Brazil. He said God has orchestrated the 13 down there. I am a firm believer. I'm a firm believer in that God has orchestrated all the moments of your life with your free will. With your free will. But He has orchestrated everything. Because if you look at nature and the universe, it's highly ordered. It's highly ordered. Sun comes up, sun goes down. The ocean's there, it's not here. It stays there. And so it's highly ordered universe. And so what happens is, basically, your circumstances are where you are. And so you, want to be, you don't want to be bitter about that. Is because Joseph was not bitter about his, his situation. He understood this is where God wants me to be. So let's go to the next slide. Okay? So... We have a problem with his wife. I'm not going to detail it in here because I went 50 minutes and 55 minutes. I'm nervous. Okay? So basically what happens is the Bible, the, the Scriptures tell us that he was a good-looking man. Good-looking man. And Potiphar's wife wanted to have relations with him. And she's pestering him. She's pestering him month after month after month until she finally, he comes into her room and he doesn't want the advances. This is what he says here. Look at verse 39.9. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? That's his response to her. I'm not going to do this. But eventually, eventually she kind of, what she does is she, as he's leaving one time, she, she grabs his garment, part of his garment, is holding it, and then she screams bloody murder. Look what he's done. Look what he's done. And calls all the servants and she's holding his garment and he looks guilty. And she's, and, and she's claiming this is what he tried to do. So all of a sudden, 
we have another bad episode. He gets sold by his brothers, and then he's falsely accused of this crime that he didn't commit. So the point number two, if you're taking notes, number one, don't be bitter about your circumstances. Number two, do the right thing under difficult circumstances allows for character development. Oh, my gosh. Doing the right thing in difficult circumstances allows for character development. You are not going to have character development if everything is hunky-dory. You're just going to be an amoeba. And God will not be interested in anything about you. But as you go through difficult situations, this is what he's cultivating. He's cultivating in you character. So doing the right thing allows character development when it's rough, when it's difficult, when you just got to say, I'm getting those geraniums. I'm just going to get them, and I don't care if I only make 50 bucks. I want to make 200. It's 50. That's going to provide character development, making that decision. Okay? So that's number two. Okay? Let's go to the next slide. So what happens? Gets thrown in prison. Okay? He gets thrown in prison. And so what happens here is, look at it again. Look at the verses, though. I mean, you're going to be thinking, okay, you know, I mean, God must have walked away from this guy. No. 39, 21, he gave him favor. God gave him favor in in sight of the chief jailer. He gave him favor. So God allowed, cultivated this favoritism for him to be successful because he's trying to make the right decisions. And look at the verse 23. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Whatever he did. Whatever he did. He's being, even in this bad situation, he's being allowed to prosper. People are seeing him. What, he's, what his attributes, his, his ability to do things. God is allowing that to happen to him. And then he interprets two dreams. Interprets dreams of two characters in the Bible. I didn't write them out here for you. Because it would just take too much time. But basically, he's in a prison for, like, special people. Like, you know how in, uh, in our prisons, if, you, if you're, like, an a important person and they put you in prison, like, you know, Martha Stewart, she went to prison, it was kind of like a country club. It's reserved for those people of wealth, you know, not prisons where, you know, it's really a problem. Well, this is the kind of prison he's in. He, he, you know, it's not going to be comfortable, but he's in there with people who have high positions in government. And there's two characters in here. One's a baker for the Pharaoh, one's a cupbearer. Two guys. And the cupbearer is the person who actually tastes the wine before Pharaoh's going to have it. So these two guys are in there. And they have dreams. And so, basically, Joseph says, I can interpret those dreams for you. And he interprets the dream for the baker and basically says to the baker, you're going to die and be executed after he interprets the dream. And for the cupbearer, he says to him, you will be given back your position. So time goes on, and then he says to the cupbearer, and this is really important, he says to the cupbearer, by the way, before you go back to Pharaoh, because I've predicted your dream, put a good word in for me. 
because I'm not happy here. Put a good word in for me. So time goes on. The baker gets executed. The cupbearer goes back. Two more years in prison. Cupbearer's like, don't say a word to Pharaoh. So he's got two more years of labor in prison. Okay? So, point number three. Joseph made the right decision by being interested in the lives of others. We have to be interested in the lives of others as believers. To show grace, to show love, to show Christ. We've got to be interested in the lives of others. He took the time out in prison to talk to people, and these two guys, he interpreted their dreams for him. So that's our third point. Okay? Uh, let's go on to the next one. Let's, uh, it, oh, there we go. And interpreting the dreams of Chief Cupbearer, and he did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So in your fourth point, have confidence in where God is taking you. So remember I told you he had two years in prison. He had two years in prison, but he remained confident of where God was taking him. That's our fourth point. Confident where God was taking him. Has anybody ever seen the movie uh, Chariots of Fire? Remember that movie? Long time ago. Yeah, it's a good song. Yeah, good, right. Well, anyway, it's the story of a sprinter. Eric Little, Scottish sprinter, Christian, becomes a missionary to China. And if you're not familiar with the story of the movie, great movie, check it out sometime. But what happens in that movie, as a, as a believer, and he's, he's considered the fastest man in the world, okay? And he's, a Scot- he's representing Scotland in the 1924 France Paris Olympics. And Sunday is the, is the finals for the 100-meter dash. And he refuses to race on Sunday. He's like, I can't race on Sunday. And so his manager's talking to him. The prime minister of, of, of United Kingdom comes and talks to him and says, hey, listen, wh- come on. And he's like, I will, not, I will not do it. He has confidence in where God was taking him. He refused to run. So then they say, that, okay, well, what are our options here? And they come up with the idea, well, why don't you run in a 400, which he's never run in before. He's never run the 400 meter, but that's not on a Sunday. So he runs in the 400 meter, and in the scene from the movie, the American Schultz, the American Schultz walks up to him and gives him a Bible verse from 1 Samuel, and it says, he who honors God, God will honor. And Little looks at that, puts it in his pocket, runs the 400, wins the goal. He had confidence in where God was taking him. He's like, I'm going to make this decision confident that this is where God is taking me. I'm confident of that. So that's our fourth point. Okay? Okay. So anyway, let's go to the next one. Okay? So now we have a turning point here. Let's move forward. We have Pharaoh's dream. And Joseph has the opportunity to interpret the dream. Here's what happens. He ha- Pharaoh has a dream. He's talking to all his people, all his, you know, magicians and such. And the cupbearer finally remembers, wait a minute, there's this guy in prison who can interpret dreams. And here's Joseph's opportunity. And so Joseph says in chapter 41, verse 16, it is not in me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He's crediting God. He's saying, I'm going to interpret your dream for you. 
And so our fifth point, our fifth point is that that's a humble statement. It's, he, he's not saying, I can interpret your dream. I'm the man. It's all about me. I, I've been doing this for years. I'm good. Just bring the, bring the dream. Bring the dream. I can do this in my sleep. Okay? No. He says, it's God who will give you a favorable answer. So he's showing humility. So part of making right decisions, we have to have a humble heart in order to make the right decisions. We can't be so all about us. It's got to be an act of humility to do that. And so quickly, quickly, he interprets the dream. And if you guys know, we're, we're, we're covering chapters here. We're just covering chapters. But if you remember what goes on here, remember I told you he was, he's been successful. I believe, I believe that God gifted him, gifted him in his ability to be a highly intelligent person and understood finances and management and all that kind of stuff because he had very little training. Okay? But he, he was given these, this ability. And so what he does, he goes to Pharaoh, and he, the dream is this now. The dream is this. If you don't remember the dream, the dream is he's saying, we're going to have seven years of great stuff, harvest, rain, all kinds of stuff, and at the time, all that was based on the Nile. If we got a lot of rain, the Nile would flood, okay, and the water, they could seed their crops and have enough irrigation for the crops to flourish. He's basically saying to them, you're going to, to Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of prosperity and seven years of drought. Okay? And Pharaoh believes him. But he goes further. He makes economic recommendations. This is what we need to do. We need to start storing food. We need to get all the people, our farmers together and start having to do high productive techniques. We're going to store the food. And then when the rest of the world comes to us, we're going to be able to sell that grain and have enough for us. And so he has these economic solutions that he puts in place to allow Egypt to prosper even more so with this impending drought that's coming. So let's go to the next slide. So he makes these economic proposals. And in verse 37, now the proposals seem good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Okay? To all her servants. So I believe point number six, doing what's right allows God to work in your heart and the hearts of others through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, which was not present in every individual in the Old Testament. They were anointed. We are all anointed. Every one of us has the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. So you can see, the, you can see here in Joseph's life, people, the God's Spirit worked on their hearts so that he would be perceived as a successful person. And also in his own heart. I'm going to relate two things to you that's happened to me in the last two months that illustrate God's working in others and in myself. We did this job a couple, about a month ago where we had to do a, a fire pit, build a fire pit in somebody's backyard. 
okay? And it was pretty elaborate. We had to dig a trench, all this kind of stuff. And if you guys all remember, it rained like every day in June, like every day. And of course, we're digging this trench, and it would fill up with water, and you, you know, fill it, putting a pump in there, trying to get the water out, and it kept coming in. Big mess. Then we find a foundation. Then we find an old foundation in the, in the ground, okay, which got Bill Person to help us, like, break through and all this stuff, by the way. So, of course, everybody, you know, the, the client's like, you know, I got a party. I got a party coming out. You guys are going to be done, right? We're not going to be done. We're, we're, not, we're not. This is, as Brendan told me one day, this is physically impossible for us to be done. So I, when we, when we met with them, I prayed that morning. I said, God, you got to work in the hearts of these people. You, this is out. I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do about it. Can you, can you intervene? I specifically asked that prayer. Can you intervene in the hearts of these people? They came outside. They looked around. We explained everything to them. And they're like, wow, no wonder it's been hard. Wow. Oh, man. Well, you know what? We're just so glad you guys are here. Done. Done. Right? And then in the hearts of others or ourselves, just this past week, one of my guys, I just, in my mind, again, I do not take these things as happen chance. In my mind, I said to myself, I haven't been to this site in a long time. I think I got to go up there, and we're go- Marty's going to come up with me. Marty and I are going to go up there. We're going to walk around, and it was messed up. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really bad. So I told Marty, I says, Marty, man, you could just spend a couple days up here, just do it. So then he's working, and then he calls me up, and says, hey, by the way, man, it's really good that I came up here because they're having, she's having a huge party. Now I think to myself, if the Lord doesn't put that in my mind through the Holy Spirit. This person's really ticked off on that day, that party. But did I have anything to do with that? I had nothing to do with that. It popped in my mind. It popped in. Boom. So those are those examples of he's going to work in the hearts of others and yourself to help you, just like he's doing here with Joseph. Because, look, Joseph, look, the, the Pharaoh could have said this. I don't like that idea. Notice what it says. It seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. What are the odds of that? Let's say he's got 20 servants. You mean to tell me that all 20 and Pharaoh happen to agree on that? What are the chances of that happening? That does not happen. It's like boom. So that's our sixth point. Okay? Let's go on to the next slide. Here comes the family. Here they come, because what happened? There's a drought. And remember, everybody thinks Joseph is gone. He's exiled, they don't know where he is. Jacob is like, the brothers told him, he disappeared, we don't know. Jacob, the father's broken up over it, but this is years and years later. So Jacob tells the brothers, listen, you guys, this is rough here, and Egypt has all this stored food. You guys got to go to Egypt. I'm going to leave Benjamin home with me. He's my youngest. I can't take any chances with him because this is a dangerous trip. At least I'm going to have this guy. Okay? 
So they go, and they have to interact with now. Joseph has been made second in charge to Pharaoh. From prison to second in charge of Pharaoh. He's living large. I mean, this guy's wealthy now. He's got servants, the whole bit. They have to go to him. And because Joseph is probably speaking Egyptian at the time, and his complexions change and stuff like that, they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Because what I want you all to see is that Joseph is attempting reconciliation and forgiveness. This is his mindset. He is trying to orchestrate events so that there can be reconciliation and forgiveness. This is, the, this is what Genesis is about. Genesis is a book about reconciliation and forgiveness, which means it's important for us to reconcile and be forgiven and forgive people. We, we need to do that because it's such a large part of the book. And so what he does, here's what Joseph says. All right, you know, you guys can, I'll, I'll look, listen to your situation, but I'm going to keep Simeon with me as hostage. And I want you all to go back. And I want, he, he asked a lot of questions. Are there anybody, is there anybody left? Any other brothers left? And they're like, yeah, we got one more brother left. He says, okay, well, I want, I want to keep Simeon here, and I want you to bring Benjamin back. Because what's Joseph trying to do? Reconciliation. I'll get everybody together because he's missing. So basically, he's orchestrating events for reconciliation. And so they go back. And so we have our seventh, our seventh point. Making right choices is looking for attempts. Notice it's looking for opportunities for forgiveness and reconciliation. We want to reconcile and, be, and forgive. We're going to look for opportunities because that's what Joseph's doing. He's orchestrating all these things, okay? Let's go to the next slide. So forgiveness, as I mentioned to you, forgiveness is the main topic of the eight chapters. It matters to God. And here's where we go. The story then concludes where he goes back. He goes back and they talk to Judah, Jacob. And he goes back and he says, listen, we ran into this guy and he wants Benjamin to come with us. And so the father, Judah, is very reluctant to part with Benjamin. But Judah, now remember this. Who's the oldest son? Judah. Judah was the one who said, he made that final decision, said, we're going to sell him into slavery. Remember, it was his words that he said it. So now Judah goes back to his father, says, we got to bring Benjamin or else this guy's not going to do anything for us. Okay, so basically he goes back with Benjamin and he tells his father, I will, va- I will, I will put my life in, your, in Benjamin's hands. I will, I will sacrifice myself for Benjamin if anything goes wrong. So they all go back to Egypt. And as they all go back to Egypt, they're all present. Okay, and Joseph is recognizing these types of things, in Judah and the behavior of his brothers. And so then Joseph says, basically says, you're all together, and then he makes it even more difficult for them. And that's where Judah goes back, says to Joseph, listen, 
I have to go back with the, I have to bring my whole family back. Because he wanted more stipulations. Joseph put more stipulations. He was squeezing the boys. And he basically said, I have to go back with Benjamin. And if you want to keep Benjamin, because basically Joseph was saying, I'm going to give you everything you want. I'll give you all the food you want. But I want Benjamin now to be with me. I want Benjamin to be with me. And Judah cannot allow that to happen because he told his father, I'll bring everybody back. So Judah then does a remarkable thing. Now, I've got to think he remembered what he did to Joseph. Remember, he doesn't know who it is. He doesn't know it's Joseph. But it's got to be in the back of his mind what he had done. So basically, he tells Joseph, I'm willing to be a slave here in order that the others will go back with, with Benjamin. My father will be distressed. He'll be panicking. I'm willing to sacrifice myself to stay here. And so those are the words that Joseph's looking for. Because then he sees that through this process, we actually have reconciliation and a heart of forgiveness. Okay? So Judah's rep- repentant before Joseph by offering his life for Benjamin's. And Joseph was testing his brothers for genuine hearts of remorse. He's actually just testing them. Rather than just say, you know, if they all showed up, hey, it's Joseph, here I am. Oh, everything's great to go. There would be no meat to the bone in that type of thing. So he orchestrates these events. Let's go to the next slide. Okay? So reconciliation is complete. And then here is the remarkable thing that Joseph says, which stuns me. After all of this stuff, okay, this guy can actually say these words. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For God sent me to keep you alive by a great deliverance. It was not you who sent me here, but God. So he reveals himself. He reveals himself there, Joseph, and then he speaks these words to his brothers as an act of reconciliation and repentance and basically understands the seed project. He understands the seed project. I don't know when he knew it, like maybe a light bulb came on one day and he said, oh, wait a minute, you know, maybe I'm here for this. We don't know that. But we do know that he understood at the end that all this was for, for God's part of God's plan. And he recognizes this. And then Judah comes back, the father, and they, they live in Egypt. They pro- the Pharaoh gives them choice land. And that whole family... Now remember, all those people who come, they may have been 30 or 40, 30 or 40 people who now come over to Egypt, they represent the future nation of Israel. Because what happens is, if we went forward into the book of Exodus, we would all of a sudden find out there's like 2 million people in Egypt, and the Egyptians are like, oh, we can build pyramids, let's, let's enslave them all. And then you have Moses coming along. That's your historical perspective. So they got there, and they become a great, they become a nation through this hardship, and eventually Moses pulls them out, and they're a nation. But this was the process. So Joseph is a 
He's a linchpin to the whole thing. The message is given to Abraham. The other, his son and his, his, his grandson follow suit, but it's Joseph who's the linchpin who actually, through his right decisions, actually this comes to culmination. Okay? So it's all illustrated in that sense. But basically, so here it is. Here's our last point, and we'll close with this. Number eight, making good choices means understanding God's providence. Okay? So, there's some young people here. Okay? There's some old people here. There's some middle-aged people here. There's all kinds of people here, right? God's providence means that he wants you to do something specific that I believe you're specifically designed to do. You're specifically designed to do. Okay? I'm 62 years old. It took me 62 years to get here. But I'm not doing this at 40. I'm a knucklehead. Well, I'm still a knucklehead, but... It's, it's, this, it's this providence of understanding what has God destined me to do. And Joseph understood it, and he had a role. Each and every one of us here, I believe, each and every one of us here has a specific role. Why do I say that? Again, because I see an ordered universe. I see molecules held together. I don't know how. They're held together. Your body is held together. It works. How? It's miraculous. All these things mean that we have an intimate God. He's intimate. It's not just like cavalier. It's very purposeful. So each and every time we do what we do, it's because... I would, like, I would ask that you all would reflect on it a little bit. That once in a while you just say, ask the Lord and say, what, are you, what, have I, what, have, what am I designed to do? What am I designed to do? And then just let him work in your heart. And as you, you know, just let him work in your heart. And this is having that purpose that Joseph would have in your life. Okay. You know, we run a small business, and I've got several employees right here at the church, and I have a clear understanding what our family's purpose is. Our family, because it's been orchestrated. So what? So be aware, be aware, be aware. Like, just understand, like, what's going on. Because as people came to us and we employed them, it would be like a knock on the head and go, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, I want to provide, I want you to provide refuge and comfort and give people a skill and distri- disseminate God's uh, uh, a word to them. It became apparent. So then every time, every once in a while, where I'm like, hey, you know, what are we going to do? My wife will remind me. You don't have to worry. This has been designed the way it's supposed to be designed. So it's understanding what that is for you. Okay. Understand what this is for you. That's it. I think I did pretty well on time. I think I did pretty well. Right? Yeah, it's 20 of noon. I think you'll all be happy. Put a good word in for the pastor now, okay? 
Put a good word in for the pastor. So let's, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your purpose in our lives, for, Lord, and just, just thank you for this day and this Sunday. Be with those who are away, Father. May their trip be safe. We thank you for them. Amen.